This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast, coming to you today with a really fun guest that I was excited to get the opportunity to talk to. Eric Sozanski is an actor, writer, and producer, a member of the Broken Lizard Comedy Group, and best known as Officer Rabbit in the cult classic comedy Super Troopers and Super Troopers 2 on television. He can be seen on HBO critically acclaimed series Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I tried to look for because I am um, a Curb Your Enthusiasm junkie. I've seen every episode and I was searching. So we got to talk about that. You are on yeah. Six Feet Under as well as uh, the Comedy Central special Broken Lizard Stands Up. Uh, then we also have to talk about the Broken Lizard Group is currently developing the much anticipated Super Troopers 3. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh Eric, you were captain of the baseball team in high school, always been known to uh, for your athletic and drive to perseverance despite obstacles, uh, one of being that you were born without a fibula. So you wear below the knee prosthetic on your right leg. And uh, the coolest thing uh, that I learned is that you overcame this disability to become one of Hollywood's most popular comedians and surprised many of your fans with the popular exercise program P90X, where you showed up there. Uh, you travel around as a public speaker, delivering keynotes to corporations, colleges, and veterans groups, and talk about how to overcome your own, quote, wooden leg. I love it. Eric, welcome to the Resilient Life Podcast. Thank you. Seems like a natural fit. Yeah, yeah. Well, like a perfect fit to be here. Yes. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, happy to have you. And, you know, uh, I, I have to tell you, um, when I, I shared, again, we got connected through a mutual friend who said, hey, my buddy Eric, I think would be great uh, for your podcast. He was a listener of the podcast. And I said, okay, let's do it. And, you know, originally the name didn't hit me right away. And then I Googled you, of course, and I saw Super Troopers. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Officer Rabbit. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm going around telling, I got Officer Rabbit coming on the, the podcast. And, you know, of course, everyone... <laughs> knew who you were. But what I found so interesting, and and again, this podcast is the Resilient Life Podcast. We're here to talk with people that have co overcome adversity and, you know, dealt with challenges, dealt with their own wooden legs in their life, right? I call it struggling yeah. well, like how you overcome uh, the, the cards you're dealt. And, you know, everyone I was talking to, you know, the people that I was sharing that you were coming on the podcast, um, we're like, well, you know, what, what's his story? Like, wh wh why? Cause, and I said, well, you know, he, he was born without a fibula and nobody really knew that. And I found, and they're like, wait, the guy from super troopers. The, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I just, uh, I found that super interesting. I'd love to talk about that more, but let's kind of start from the beginning. Um, tell me a little bit about your upbringing, um, and again, you know, some, you, you're born with a disability and talk to me about, uh, I shared with you before we started recording that actually someone I work with, her young son has the same, um, disability that, that you were born with. 
and she was so touched and, and shared, you know, um, the, the connection and, um, and I'd love to kind of hear what it was like for you growing up. Let's start there. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll start there. Yeah. It's interesting. The whole idea about people not knowing how to prosthetic was very intentional, but we'll get to that later. Um, and there's a reason, and it goes back to my childhood. And, uh, when I was a child, you know, I was born without a fibula. So at 18 months old, I had my foot amputated. So I would, my mom had to drive me around, drag me around in a red flyer wagon for like, I don't know, a year or two until I was old enough to be fit for a prosthetic. And then I started walking around in a wooden leg, you know, it's, it's not that long ago, but it's interesting because military the prosthetic technology has just improved dramatically. Yeah. But when I was growing up, you know, in the eighties and stuff, um, it was just wood, you know, I was like, you just cut down a tree and drill a hole and I put my leg in it. it <laughs> the technology is ridiculous. And, uh, so I had to run around, I would throw a gym sock over the end of my leg, put it in this chunk of wood and then run around and play baseball and oh my had bloody, bloody gym socks by the time I got home every night and I'd throw ointment on it and band-aids and it was hard, you know, it was only hard because technology was so backwards 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, and now it's so much better. It's incredible. Now you see like, you know, bionic practically a $6 million man running around out there with uh, really cool cheetah legs and all sorts of interesting stuff. But so yeah, as a kid, I'm running around. Uh, wooden leg when I grow an inch you know they would just spin off my foot and they'd add an inch inch of wood to my ankle and they'd spin my foot back on so I was like a tree you could measure my growth in the ring on my ankle um, but wild. you know I got teased a lot but you know that's the sort of interesting thing is you try to shelter people from challenges but what I find is that those challenges are what make you stronger and it's kind of that classic story of the boy with the butterfly where the boy sees the butterfly the caterpillar struggling and so it tries to help it get out of its cocoon but it dies because it actually needs that struggle to get the fluid in its wing to be able to fly yeah and so i feel like we need that struggle that's that struggle unfortunately sometimes because it's hard when you're in the moment but when you look back on it like wow that's what made me stronger and able to fly and gave me life and i don't know it's it's an interesting contradiction yeah you know i like struggle is kind of the antecedent of growth, right? If we don't kind of embrace that struggle that we deal with, we're never going to to grow as individuals. I think about when you're growing up, how did your parents uh, approach you as a child? You know, I, I've, I've often heard about, you know, kids that are born with disabilities and there's this kind of this helicopter parent approach where they're yeah, sheltered yeah. and they're like, oh, I don't want anything else to happen to you. And then there's the parents that say, you can do anything any other kid can do. What what path did your parents take? Yeah, no, I find that fascinating because that's your instinct, right? I, I got to protect this kid who can't help himself. Yeah. And that's the instinct. And I could have stayed inside and played with Star Wars toys all day long, you know, like, and not gone out there into the world where my parents were fearful, but they they got over that. They, the most important thing for them was like, go out and be like everyone else. Right. Right. And so like, I grew up in Minnesota and we had a ton of kids in the neighborhood. So in the, in the summer we were playing kickball and, uh, kick the can and all sorts of things that, uh, get at the one leg was challenging for. And in the winter I was going down to the park at the end of the street and it was ice skating and that was equally as challenging, but my parents were like, go do it, go be like all the other kids. And I, I, I wanted to go skiing as a kid. Here's a good example. I want to go skiing as a kid. And my parents were sort of hesitant and they were like, all right, well, we'll take you skiing. And the first thing they do was they put me on outriggers. You know what outriggers are? They're basically like crutches with little skis on the ends. Oh yeah, sure. For like, you know, they had me go down with one leg and I was like, I don't know. 
I just don't feel like every other kid out here. And they're like, well, if you try to go on two skis, you don't have an ankle, you got a wooden leg, like you're going to fall down. I'm like, <laughs> okay. And so like I went to the top of the hill and I crashed and burned and fell. And, and then I, by the end of the day, I'm skiing. Cut to a couple years later, I'm skiing double diamonds in Colorado. But the whole point of that story is if my parents didn't say, yeah, go out and be like everybody else and allow me to crash and burn and fall and just say, keep getting back up, just keep getting back up. You know, that becomes a habit of keep getting back up, which is always a lesson I brought back in life later as I get older. Yeah, I love that. Now's a great time to take a break and share with you a special opportunity to honor our fallen service members this Memorial Day. The Travis Manning Foundation's Honor Project is back this year and bigger than ever. We're at more national cemeteries across the country honoring our fallen. If you'd like to volunteer to be a part of this, you can register at travismanion.org. And for those that want us to honor their fallen hero, you can do the same. Reach out at travismanion.org. So, you know, obviously they were pushing you to just do whatever you wanted to do. And despite the challenges you were overcoming, was there a point in your childhood that you or this like realization, like you were different, like you had different challenges or was it just something that, you know, again, you were born with it. So you didn't know any different. Was there like uh, that combo, pivotal combo, moment, you know, like yeah, a little cop, yeah, a little combo of both, you know, one of the things that they did talk me out of, which I was kind of bummed, but I got over pretty quickly. was playing football because <laughs> they were like, you know, I love, I joined the football team and I want to play football. And they're like, you know, if you get tackled and hurt your good leg, you're not going to be able to walk period. Yeah. And I was like, all right, probably a good point. So, you know, they did try to guide me in a responsible way. But it was, um, you know, my nickname was Woody. And I always, I don't know, like when I was younger, I always felt kind of normal just because kids are kids and like nobody knows any difference. But it was when I started liking girls that I had one pivotal moment. I had a crush on this cute, cute, freckly redhead girl. And, uh, we, had, we were playing kickball one day in elementary school, and I thought that if I kicked a home run, she was going to marry me. Like, I, I knew where we were going on a honeymoon. I bought the <laughs> ring. I knew, I knew it all. I had it all planned out. Until uh, the pitcher rolls the ball, I kick the ball as hard as I can, and my leg goes flying off. You know, this one kid goes, picks it up, starts chasing all the girls with it. And then I'm like, all right, I'm not like all the other kids here. Oh, my god! You know, the girl had a crush on screaming. And, um, <laughs> you know, at that point, I realized – Maybe I'm not like everybody else. And I, I felt a little self-conscious after that. It's kind of when I started feeling, as I was getting to that little bit older age, liking girls, um, realizing, well, may, you know, I, I am, I, maybe I'm handicapped. You know what I mean? I'd started going through my mind that maybe I'm handicapped. So I've always kind of had that struggle of wanting to be like everybody else, but also like knowing that some of the perception is that I'm, I'm a handicapped kid. Yeah. So how does that, well, let's say, not how does that, but did that, those challenges that you faced growing up lead you to, into comedy? Like, do you think it was a, an escape in, in terms of like, I'd love to know like the transition to you becoming a comedian, right? And, and yeah. I, I imagine there's some self-deprecation there and like, Hey, I can talk about my wooden leg. I can, you know, how, how, what role did that play into you going down the path of, of being a comedian? Yeah, I think it's a little bit more subconscious and conscious in a way. Well, I mean, 
Well, like being on the playground and kids taking my leg off every day, like I could have cried or I could have turned it into a joke. Right. And my survival instinct unconsciously was to think it was hilarious. Right. And like, and then make a joke about it. Or I'd be in class. And if we had a substitute teacher, I'd turn my leg around. So one foot's forward, one foot's back. And the substitute's like, <gasps> you know, thinking <laughs> I broke my foot or something. Or, but, I, you know, it was a way for me to get laughs and be accepted. Yeah. So I think unconsciously as a kid, I always used it to crack jokes to get the acceptance. So how did you get started in the Broken Lizard comedy group? Yeah. So um, I always like when I got to school, I wanted to play baseball, like I mentioned, and I was captain my high school baseball team. But when I got to college, which was a division one school, I went to kind of walk on and realized that I wasn't six foot five, 250 pounds and these really gigantic, strong athletes. I just didn't have that build. So, um, as much as I loved it, I realized I probably wasn't going to be able to take it that next step. So, uh, I always had a fond fondness for acting. I dabbled in high school a little bit, you know, I was walking by the theater and I saw they were having additions and I was like, Oh man, I'll go, maybe I should go check it out. But then I started auditioning and I, I was terrible. I just, <laughs> you know, had no luck whatsoever. Uh, so I decided to take an acting class in college and this is sort of where the serendipitous weird thing in life, uh, crossing in the universe happened. Uh, I was in, uh, uh, set acting class, but they made you build sets. Mm. So I show up on a Saturday to build sets and I'm working next to this tall, skinny Indian guy. And we start <laughs> having this one up mission contest to see who is tougher than the other person. I had said that I was from Minneapolis and he started from Chicago and we start talking about football teams and I was way tougher than Minnesota. I'm like, okay, all right. He starts making fun of my Vikings who have lost four Super Bowls, and that kind of struck a nerve. So anyway, I uh, pick up a hammer, and I said, oh, if you're so tough, Chicago, can you do this? And I go, whack, and I smacked myself on the <laughs> ankle as hard as I could, and I handed him a hammer. Again, flat, using my leg to kind of uh, crack jokes. And thinking he's going to be like, are you on your mind? Right, but instead he grabbed the hammer, and he smacked himself on the ankle as hard as he could. And we got in this contest of one-upmanship. And it just kept going and going and going until I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's crazy. I'm dealing with absolute madmen. So I find a pneumatic staple gun, and I think, okay, well, this will end it. So I take a pneumatic staple gun, and I go, <laughs> and I put a three-quarter-inch staple in my leg. Does he know that you have a prosthetic? He has no clue. No. He thinks you're no just legitimately, right. okay, okay. Yeah, I'm like, this guy's way tougher than I am. I mean, he's insane. <laughs> so I'm like, well, he's not going to put a staple in his leg. But he grabs a staple gun. He's about to put a staple in his, in his leg. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. Are you out of your mind? I said, I got a fake leg. And I take off my leg and I show him it's wooden leg. He, and he, I thought he was going to kill me, right? But he's like, oh, my God, it's hysterical. And we became best friends, college roommates. Um, and then he was putting together a comedy group at Colgate University. We went to school. And he asked me to audition. I went auditioned. He thought it was that fun. You know, I thought that staple gun thing was funny, that sense of humor. So it's sort of interesting that my leg actually consciously did lead into comedy because he asked me to audition for the sketch comedy group. Uh, I got cast. That group was called Chart Goose Speak. Cut to several years later, we went to New York City, and that's where we formed Broken Lizard. And that guy who was there that day on the Staple Gun incident, uh, his name is Jay Chandler Sekar. He formed the comedy group. He formed Broken Lizard. He played Thorny and Super Troopers. And he and I then... Uh, played partners in super troopers where thorny and i ride in the car together yeah and like the maple syrup chugging competition where we chug against each other was all originally based on that sort of like one-upmanship idea but we thought well what would that be in vermont yeah i'd be chugging maple syrup 
That's so cool. Oh, that's so that's kind story. of my introduction to comedy and how I got into it. So, um, what is the latest on Super Troopers Three? Because when you Google it, it's it says Super Troopers Three coming, 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 but then there's no <laughs> other information. Do you have any inside info you can give us? Yeah, well, yeah. So, uh, Super Troopers Three, I think we're on draft nine. It's probably right here on my desk somewhere. We're working hard on it. But before that, we have a movie, a new movie coming out April 20th, 2023 on Hulu called Quasi. Quasi. Okay. And the trailer, uh, trailer comes out uh, March 21st. And uh, yeah, so our new Broken Lizard film will be Quasi. And then after that, we're going to go shoot Super Troopers 3. And what's Quasi about? Quasi is our sort of nod to Monty Python. It's our Broken Lizard take on the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So it's short for Quasimodo. Okay. Eighth century France. We play multiple characters, uh, complete ridiculousness, very rated R, um, but a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I love the idea. And again, with, with super troopers, with uh, just, you know, I haven't seen Quasi, but just this idea of this, bringing just laughter, right? And just humor and w- w- in the world today, where we yeah. are today, just something. So yeah, it's so needed. It, it it really is. Like, you know, you can just get so tied down. I mean, I turn on like, you know, I've got every streaming service and it's like documentary on this killer or this global disaster, or th- like, I mean, and, and sometimes you just need to laugh, right? Like you just yeah. need to just let it all go and laugh. And so I love it. I, I think it's comedy is something that is, it's actually essential uh, to life. It really is being able to laugh. You know, one of the most important things that sort of ties this podcast is when we would get letters and notifications or um, emails, whatever, from people that are in the military that were overseas, and they would say, man, it's tough over here, but we'll throw on one of your movies for two hours and forget about everything. Yeah. And you're just like, it just, it gives you so much purpose for why you're doing it. It's so cool. It's our favorite thing to get is to hear from guys in the military that, Uh, enjoy our comedies overseas or even anywhere, right? Anywhere they could just give a laughter for a couple hours. Yeah. Just take away. I I mean, I believe it, you know, I, I, Oh, so my brother was very, and so, you know, if you didn't know Travis, right. If you didn't know him when he was living and you hear the stories about him, you just think of this very stoic Marine and, and you hear of what he did when he, he was in Iraq and all his heroics and, you know, every picture of him, he looks super serious. Like my, my brother, when he was uh, stationed in Camp Pendleton, this was between his, his first and second deployment, his buddy, Carlo, who I'm still good friends with Marine that served with him, uh, would tell this story. So Travis was a, uh, all American wrestler, wrestler, wrestled at the Naval Academy, uh, cauliflower ears that were just popping. Right. And so, you know, with the shaved head, he was huge. He looked like a fighter. And so they went into this bar in Pacific beach and Carla was this little guy and they walked in and they, they walked in and they, he started saying that he was a fight promoter and that Travis was, you know, going to be boxing. I forget who he said he was boxing, but like a big boxer. And so they started like, you know, telling this story 
and people are coming up and taking pictures with with my brother, like, oh my God, this is the next big <laughs> thing. And he tells a story and he said it was one of the the funniest nights because your brother got so into character. He's like, I literally believed that he was going to be like this this huge boxer. He said it was just hilarious and the the entire bar was just uh the entire bar was just like all like, oh my God, yeah, look, do you, do, you, do you know who that guy is? And then Carlo's walking around. He's this little tiny Italian guy saying he's his manager. And, uh, you know, I, I think of those stories and, and that's who like Travis loved comedy and he loved just like being able to laugh. And so I think about like when his Foot Locker came back, he had, I was talking about, he had like a copy of Gates of Fire that was all marked up and, and. The movie 300 was something that they said he watched all the time. But then every other DVD, because that's what they had at the time, were these DVD. Every other DVD was was comedies, right? It was just comedies. And so, yeah, yeah, I love the the correlation. And it's so true. And, And I think for all of us, like, just the idea of being able to laugh, right? Like, life today, I think, is just... There's just, it's a serious, it's too serious sometimes. Right. And we, we get caught in this bubble of, I don't know. Um, you gotta be able to laugh. Yeah. Especially now. Yeah. And we need people that yeah, can totally help agree. us laugh. Yeah. Well, we love the military too. We, uh, uh, what, do you know what years he was at Pendleton? Uh, he was there when, I mean, right when he got out from 2005 until 2007, he was there. Because we premiered, we did one of our premieres um, at Pendleton of Beer Fest in 2005. Okay. And it would have been so awesome if uh, he was in the audience there. Because we love promoting, we're actually promoting Quasi at Pendleton again, um, I think on the 17th of April. Oh, 16th or 17th. So, I don't know, I I live in Pensacola, Florida. I mean, it's a huge military town, big Navy town. Yeah. And uh, all my buddies are military. (laughs) I, I get a little... Uh, humbled because I actually go to a CrossFit gym. It's all just military guys. guys. Oh my God. I feel so puny. (laughs) And I'm always like, I'm so happy you're on my side because what they can do is unbelievable. Did you have any connections to the military growing up? Uh, My uncle was in Vietnam. My uncle uh, was a DJ and I think he was around like, you know, good morning Vietnam. Like I can't remember that uh, DJ that Robin Williams um, played. Uh Uh-huh. But I think my, my uncle was like a, around that time. He may have known that guy, but that was my one connection was my uncle. So what? And my cousin, my cousin was uh, in, uh, did a couple tours recently. Okay. What motivated you to step into the veteran space? Because you've done a lot of, you know, you've worked with a lot of different groups, uh, DAV, Disabled Veterans of America, Wounded Warrior Project, who is, uh, yep. uh, they're great partners with with our organization you know, was it, was it your disability that, that you stepped into that space? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've always had a ton of respect for it. Um, met a bunch of great guys. Like I said, when we, uh, screened Pendleton beer fest at Pendleton, it was a conscious choice. We wanted to go there. We asked if we could go there. Uh, I have always wanted to just give back a little bit mm-hmm. you know, like what we could do to what we could do as comedians is try to give back with laughter. But what I want to do individually was be able to go to Walter Reed or Brick Army, and if somebody um, had, you know, an amputation or something, they came back and they're going to have a prosthetic, I'd go in there and I'd take off my leg and drop it. They'd be like, hey, it's rabbit. And then I'd pull my leg off. Like I said, nobody knew, right? And I'd drop it off. And I said, hey, you need one of these? And, you know, try to get a laugh out of it. And I just wanted them to know you can still do cool things in your life. Yeah. All I want to do is be able to say, like, hey, man, it's not over. And I guess that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, yeah, it's going to be tough. you got some challenges coming up. But, like, 
I don't know. I went on and made comedy films. That was what I chose to do. I got to play baseball for a while, which is great. Um, P90X, you know, I get to be on here on this podcast with Ryan. <laughs> you know, there's cool things you can do in life still, even though you have a prosthetic leg. It doesn't have to be the end. Well, to talk about, you You touched on in the beginning, you said that in, you know, it was purposeful that when I would say, hey, I'm having Officer Rabbit on my podcast, um, and I said, you know, he's got a prosthetic leg, and people were like, I didn't know that. You said that was slightly on purpose. Like, why? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, because I, I, I think people in Hollywood who cast television and movies, they try to find the easiest route. And the easiest route is if you they know that you have a prosthetic leg, they're going to cast you as a vet or somebody who's lost their leg or been in a car accident. But, like, they're probably not going to cast you as just um, – a, a rookie on the police force yeah. or I played a uh, fun police in club dread or Todd at beer fest, you know, like it's hard for them to think, well, this guy's handicapped. He can't play a regular person. Yeah. So I said, well, screw that, man. I'm going to go out and I'm going to go do all these roles and then I'm going to come out and tell the world. So a, a funny, another funny incident, a coincidental incident story happened is I was going to go make a bunch of movies and then I was going to come out. And by the way, if you didn't know that, I did all those movies with a wooden leg. So when did you switch? Have you switched from the wooden leg? Because there are beautiful yeah. prosthetics today. Yes, thank God. Yes, <laughs> I now have a beautiful. I have a leg where you can't even tell it's a fake leg. Wow. There's yeah. uh, it's carbon graphite. It's uh, really great energy storing. There's this company out in Pasadena called Aesthetic Prosthetics that they put a cover on it that has toes and skin and hair. And if you took a photograph and you covered the knee where it connects, you wouldn't even know it's a prosthetic. It looks, you know, it's like Hollywood magic. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, technology improved a lot. I have a, a, I've a lot of friends who are amputees um, just being in this space, but one of them, Rob Jones, um, a good friend, double amputee, and um, he was a Marine. And he's, I've done a bunch of different races with him. And... He runs on these blades, you know, you've seen them. Yeah, blades, and, yeah, cheetahs, yeah. Yeah, and I'll never forget, it was, I think, 2019 in the Marine Corps Marathon, and I knew he was running in the marathon, and I'm running, and, you know, I'm along this path. We're at, like, mile 9 or 10, and he just, like, flies by me. And he's like, hey, Ryan. <laughs> and I'm like, and I looked at him, like, I'm like, I feel like you have an unfair advantage on me right now. I mean, these things... The way they can run on these blades, it's incredible. Now, it yeah. is, he is above the knee amputee. So it is the, the amount of time and effort that he put in to be able to perform the way he does athletically is mind blowing. And, you know, and, 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 you know, he takes them off and then he walks on these tiny little stumps and he's all of three feet when he doesn't have his legs on, but it is incredible to see what he has gone on to do. And, and again, there's so many, um, young men and women that, that I've had the pleasure to get to know that what they, because again, you were born without a leg and I don't want to say it, it came easier for you, but like you knew nothing yeah. else, right? Like yeah, it was all absolutely. you knew. Uh, imagine being, you know, able-bodied and then all of a sudden you, you have no legs and you have to, you think about like, you know, I, I talk about this idea of like struggling well, right? And so you get to decide how, 
you attack the issues that you deal with in your life, like how you respond to them. And it would be very easy to just pull up the covers and say, listen, you know, put me in a wheelchair um, and let me go about my life. And I have not seen one of these young men and women that have chose that option. Like their option is always to be like, I'm going to be a better version of myself. And it's, it's incredible. And I'm sure they look at you as um, such an inspiration uh, as someone who's kind of, you know, lived it your whole life, kind of dealing with those challenges. Well, above the, above the knee amputees called below the knee amputees, me, paper cuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I need to go out and work harder. That's what <laughs> I think the point here is. Uh, it's amazing. They inspire me every time. I love it. I love meeting people like that that just crush it, right? Just t- decide, like, I'm not going to sit inside and watch the 13th season in the office. I'm going to go out. I'm going to run a marathon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's fantastic. I mean, it's amazing. I wish everyone in the world could just hear their stories and just go out and just I'm going to go out there and take on the world and hammer it down right now. You know what I mean? It's so cool. When you talk about like you, this, when you go out and give talks, you talk about your own rhetorical quote, wooden leg in your keynote speeches. Like, what does that strategy look like? What, what are you, what are you sharing with the audience essentially? Yeah. I I try to share the story that uh, growing up as a kid, I wanted to go skiing and falling down and like getting back up. And as an early age, that became a habit for me. And then when I went on in later life, like it's really hard to make a movie, like making a movie in Hollywood. And we made our first two movies independently and then had to go to Sundance Film Festival and had to get it bought, like raising the money and writing it and shooting it and selling it is like the biggest mountain I ever had to ski down. But it was those habits that I learned as a young kid of struggle and having to go out and like get back up, keep getting back up. I mean, we came out with Super Troopers and like when it sold at Sundance and went Fox Searchlight bought it and put it in theaters, comedians and people are like, who are these guys? They came out of nowhere. They're overnight successes. And you're like, overnight successes? It took us 10 years right. of being nobodies. But we had to work our freaking asses off because it is so hard to make a comedy. We made a movie that did not get in theaters and then we had to go back and then make Super Troopers. Like, it's not our first movie we made. We made a half-hour film. Then we made a feature film, and neither of them got picked up. And then we had to go make Super Troopers. It took 10 years. But, like, if you don't give up and you learn the habit of struggle and perseverance, I call it foolish perseverance because sometimes you're like, what are you doing? It's crazy. Why? How can you fall down so many times and just keep getting back up? But they have to have that drive of, I want to get from the top of that hill to the bottom of the hill without outriggers. And I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I have to imagine that, you know, as you're going through that process, right? So you're, you know, we want to make it in in Hollywood. We're going to do this 30-minute film. Then we're going to do a feature film. And, you know, it's not getting picked up. You know, you can doubt yourself a little bit, right? So you got to overcome, like, your own, like, hey, I got to keep believing. But I also have to imagine that there's people in your life that are like, hey, Eric, it's just, it's not going to happen. Right. Like that's the bigger challenge for me when, you know, if I have people that are cheering me on saying like, you can do this, right? Like just keep, keep working at it, whatever it may be. Right. Keep, uh, keep working at it. But if somebody says like, if my dad says, Hey, right, it's like, it's that, that ain't happening. It's time to, it's time to give up that dream. I'm very apt to be like, all right, well then I'm, I'm going to stop. Like you have to even overcome other people's disbelief in what you can accomplish. And I think that's a harder thing to overcome. 
Oh, brutal. That's a huge, I mean, I don't know. It's a, I don't know if it's peer pressure, but you feel it. Yeah. Yeah. You feel it. <laughs> I mean, uh, my dad is a conservative kind of businessman. Great guy. Very supportive. Amazing. We're really close. But there's a time when he's like, when are you going to go back and get your master's and go get a job? Right. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, but I want to be an actor. You know what I mean? Just like going in the field of acting in the first place. My dad was just like, all well, right. You know, I feel like, like that's a life for a, lo- a lot of Hollywood actors, right? Like they tell their parents they're going to be an actor and then they're, you know, bartending in Hollywood <laughs> forever. And then it's like, Hey, time to come home, kid. And then, you know, the success stories are the ones like, I didn't listen to anybody else. I, you know, I followed, I knew that that big thing was coming. And, you know, uh, a week later, I had said I was going to pack my bags if nothing happens. And then I got my big break. You know, it's that's like the classic Hollywood tale, right? Oh, yeah. I remember my dad coming to New York, you know, at a business meeting, and he decided to bring his business friends to this restaurant where I'm a waiter, you know, and he's like, here's my son, he's an actor. I'm like, well, I'm sure they're like, well, he's a waiter, but, you know, <laughs> years of waiting tables, and we actually made a movie called The Slam and Salmon, it was based, like, Jay, Steve, and I all wait, waited tables at the same restaurant, and years and years and years of waiting tables, bartending, temping, I mean, so many jobs, 10 years of it, I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, mental health. Um, you know, that's a big thing right now in society. Um, it's a it's an epidemic that certainly um, our, our veteran community, our military community faces, but it, it's, I think it's an overwhelming issue for our entire society right now. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, has, how is living with a disability shaped your mental health? I get depressed. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, I come on here and say everything every day is rosy every day, but I don't know. There's sometimes when I walk, look in the mirror and I see myself and I get depressed, you know, um, I don't know how to overcome it. It's hard. I mean, a lot of people who have clinical depression, they just can't get out of bed. You know what I mean? Like you can try to set your mindset and be like, I'm going to get up at four 30 and I'm going to go to the gym. But you know, I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, maybe, you know, seek out friendship or camaraderie or, um, positive souls. You know, my wife is incredibly supportive. Um, you know, if you could talk to a therapist or try to get on uh, medication that can at least get you from a zero to a two to like, maybe then get you to gym and work out. I mean, just trying to find something like find the solution for yourself. Um, like Tony Horton, who's an ex, uh, ex workout guy. I don't know if he P90 X I did P90 X and I became really good friends with Tony Horton. He became like a brother to me. And uh, we always talked about exercising because it chemically releases brains that help you have positive feelings. But uh, another thing that I thought was always important was he and I would work out together and we would get together and we'd meet and at eight o'clock we'd be there for each other. And there was laughter, there was camaraderie, uh, there was exercise. And by nine o'clock I was ready to get my day going. Um, I felt like I'd accomplished a task. I felt like I'd exercised, uh, felt good. I don't know. It's just, so it's trying to seek like a friend group sometimes somebody to be there for you. Just not doing it alone. Yeah. I, 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 I think, um, this idea, like you can't general Dumford, uh, the former chairman of the joint chief, I had him on my podcast early on. And when we were talking about resilient, <laughs> he said, you can't be resilient and be alone right? You need that supportive community. And that's a lot of what we talk about at the Travis Manning Foundation is like, you know, at the essence, it's like, what's the Travis Manning Foundation? It's a community. 
right? It's like, it's yeah. a community where you can come and find that camaraderie that maybe you've been missing, that connectiveness that you've been missing in your life. And, um, and I love how you bring the, the, the physical health into it. It's so important. I always laugh because my dad's a, a retired Marine Corps colonel. He did 30 years in the Marines. And, you know, love it's it. just recently, I would say in the last, gosh, probably five, maybe 10 years, 10 years is probably stretching it, that the stigma of like mental health has been chipping away. But for a while, especially in the military, it was something like, you don't talk about it. Like if you're struggling mentally, you don't share that. Um, And, you know, that could affect your job, your promotion. It, It could affect a lot of things. It was just something you didn't talk about. And so, you know, growing up, I remember like if I was not feeling mentally sound and anything I would say, like I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling depressed or I'm sad, my dad would say, go for a run. And he he thought that, you know, all ailments of the mind could be healed by going for a run. And I was like resentful towards him for a long time because I, I felt like he didn't take my uh, what I was dealing with ser- seriously. He would just be like, well, you need right. to run more. You're not in shape. That's the, that's the issue. And, you know, the, the more I've come to find is like, yes, like 100%, um, there's other things that need to happen, right? Like therapy is super important. If you need medication, that that's something that's in, important. Um, but there is something very important. And that connection between our physical and mental health is super important. So I look back and I'm like, you know, he didn't have all the answers, but he did have an answer for me. I didn't take him seriously when he would say that because I'd be like, screw you, dad. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'd run upstairs and slam the door. And no. but, but at the end of the day, like my dad was somebody that, and he's still at 67 years old, is someone that wakes up every day and he goes for a run. Like that's what he does. And I've never heard him once talk about anything that any way that he was struggling mentally. And, you know, some people just don't have those challenges, but like he has found what works for him. He goes for a run every single day. So that physical connection, and I get it when I am consistent about working out, uh, my mental well-being is in a much different place. And I think you, you said it so well, it's like you feel like you accomplished something. Right. Your whole the rest of your day could go to shit, but you're like, I got a good work in today. Workout in today. Yeah. So it's like it all was not wasted. So um (laughs) and you know, from a chemical perspective, you're releasing endorphins. There are chemical things that happen when you're working out. So Yeah. yeah. I love that. And uh I love that you've embraced the CrossFit lifestyle. I'll give you a little challenge. So um we have what we call I don't, I don't, at your CrossFit gym. I don't know if you guys do hero wads, but um, so that CrossFit has wads that are named in honor of fallen service members. So okay. my brother's wad is called the Mannion wad. It happens every year around April 29th. That was uh, his anniversary date, and so we have hundreds of CrossFit gyms across the country that participate in this manual wad. And you can also do it as an individual too, right? You can register, we send you a shirt and you can do it on your own. But it is, um, it's seven rounds of, um, seven rounds, 400 meter run and 29 back squats. And then for men, it's 135. For women, it's 95. Um, 
you obviously can scale to your own. I do most of the time. I do air squats, but it's grueling. It is just all about the legs because the guy at CrossFit who designed this workout for, for my brother wrestled with my brother at Navy. And then he got out of the Marine Corps and joined CrossFit headquarters. And he said, I made this workout just to kill your legs because your brother's legs were like tree trunks. And that was his power when he was on the wrestling mat was his legs were so strong. So the first time I did the Mannion Wad, I did it at the Naval Academy uh, with a bunch of midshipmen. They have a CrossFit gym, CrossFit Blue and Gold. And I show up. And I, I, Jimmy, who did the workout with, who designed the workout, he was there and he's going over, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to run this loop. It's 400 meters. You come back, you do 29 back squats. And he's like, right, you, you just do air squats, you know, and just do what you can, you know, do what you can. And I'm like, screw that. I'm doing the whole thing. Right. And so I grabbed the bar and I'm like, all right, I'm not doing 95 pounds, but I grabbed a 45 pound bar and I'm like, okay. So I'm doing it, and I'm, and I also had Carlo, the guy that was in the bar with Travis, yeah. the little Italian yeah. Marine. He's with me, and he's out of the Marine Corps at this point. He's not super in shape, and he's doing it. We're like halfway through. He's puking in a trash can, <laughs> and I just keep going. I'm like, I have something come over me where I'm like, I'm doing this, and so we finish. I walked back to the house with Carlo, and. It was, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile back to the house. By the time we got back there, my legs had seized up and I I couldn't even move (laughs) for literally days. I could not walk down the stairs. I couldn't. The next day I lied in bed the entire day and Jimmy called me and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Jimmy, I I mean, I think I damaged my legs. And he's like, you got it. He's like, you got to get up and walk like you, you can't just be lying on the couch. He's like, the lactic acid in your legs is like overflowing right now. I'm like, I right. can't move. It was the most painful workout I've ever done. I've now done it. I do it twice a year. Um, I do it on Thanksgiving morning too, just to get ready for the turkey. But um, I love the challenge of just like kind of punishing yourself. And the whole time I'm thinking like, you know, all, all of these men and women that are out there that are serving and this is, you know, I can punish myself a little bit today, but it's a killer Absolutely. workout. I'll send it to you um, and see if, uh, you know, you want to scale it and, and test it out at your CrossFit gym. Send it to me. The guy that runs a CrossFit gym, his name's Brandon. He's an army guy. So maybe he's heard of it. I'll yeah. ask him. Okay. Sounds good. So, I always end each episode talking about like resilience, right? And, and how resilience shows up for you. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, what does living a resilient life look like for you? You know, I think it means, uh, you know, life's going to be hard, but you can get through it. I don't know. I feel like there's times when you're, it's okay. I'll give an example. Um, uh, my wife and I foster daughters. And it always, it feels like challenges at time. It, it, there's a lot of challenges that uh, come with it. Yeah. And then you uh, wake up the next day and you're like, wow, we got through that. You know what I mean? Like the next day always comes. And the hard things that I go through personally with a uh, prosthetic or like raising, uh, helping to raise children that have had traumatic upbringings, like it can be hard in the moment. And then you wake up the next day, you're like, wow, we got through another day. We got through another day. We got through another day. And every day the sun keeps rising and you just keep getting through another day. Um, 
just know that you will get through it, even though the challenges are always there and they're always going to be there. Yeah. So many different ways. So at the end of my talk, I always say you might, you might not have a prosthetic body part, but everyone has a wooden leg. Every single person in this world has a wooden leg of some sort. If it's physical, mental, emotional, there are things that are going to be challenging out there. That's going to be hard for you to do, but uh, we can, we can say, well, I'm still going to go try to do great things in my life or interesting things in my life. Let's just go give it a go. Yeah. Keep going, right? Got to keep going. Yeah, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. Yeah. See where life takes us. I love it. Eric, it's been awesome to talk to you. Uh, I'm so glad that Ben connected us and really enjoyed the conversation. Everyone, we're going to make sure that we uh, put a, a link out to Quasi coming out on Hulu, nice. Hulu April 20th. And then we are all going to be anticipating the return of Super Troopers 3. Uh, Get going on that. Uh, And uh, thank you so much for being on the Resilient Life podcast. Thanks, Ryan. I really love talking to you. I mean, I love what you're doing. And just uh, thank you. Thanks so much.